0: Thanks, Pastor Roland. Good morning, everybody. Welcome again to Every Nation Church, Las Vegas. And like Pastor Roland said, it's been a great time talking about the Holy Spirit, and we've been able to discover a lot about who the Holy Spirit is and how he wants to help us in our lives. Um, we've discovered that our church, and not just our church, but really the big church, the big C, all of the believers everywhere, but in particular in the West, we, we need to know more about who the Holy Spirit is. We don't know that much about him. Um, Trying to know the Holy Spirit is a little bit like trying to know Destiny's Child. <laughs> Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, I think we might have a picture of them. Do we have Destiny's Child here today? Okay, so, who's in the middle? Uh-huh, so everybody knows Beyonce, right? And if you don't know Beyonce, you can take everything you own and put it in a box to the left. In the closet, that's your stuff. Anyway, we know Beyonce, right? The queen bee, whatever. Okay, who's over there on her right? From where we're facing, uh, our right, her, her left, I guess. Kelly Rowland, right? And a lot of people know Kelly Rowland too. Because Kelly Rowland has taught us important life lessons. Because sometimes love comes around. And it knocks you down. But what do you do? Knocks you down. That's right. You get back up. Though righteous man fall seven times, get back up again. But who is over there on our left of Beyonce? Like three of you know. (laughs) Michelle Williams is very important to Destiny's Child. It's not Destiny's Child without her. But we don't know Michelle Williams that well. God the Father is Beyonce, (laughs) because everybody knows God the Father. And Jesus is Kelly Rowland, because a lot of people know Jesus too. But who is the Holy Spirit? And that's what we've been talking about. And if you want to find out more about who the Holy Spirit is supposed to be in our life today, then we invite you to check out our website, everynationlasvegas.org. Listen to the sermons from the past seven weeks. And that's why it's been a bit of a prolonged series. We've been spending time here because we want to learn more about the Holy Spirit and who he wants to be to us. We've been in this series so long that we started it around the time that the Golden State Warriors were getting ready to win the NBA championship. And in the wake of the NBA championship, people have talked about and reflected on the legacy of Stephen Curry. Now, basketball fans, who here thinks that Steph Curry is a top 20 player of all time? Put your hands up. Top 15, keep him up. It's an interesting experiment. I'm just going to keep going for my own sake now. Top 10. Oh, gosh, we're getting frisky up there. But it's kind of the floor, Right? And I've been on ESPN, and some people went as far as to say he's already on the Mount Rushmore. He's top four. I don't, I don't quite know about that. I love Steph. been watching this guy since Davidson. Four is a stretch. Anyway, we've been talking about Steph Curry in such glowing terms that it's easy to forget what happened in the first round against the Denver Nuggets when Stephen Curry, the all-time great, a top 30 player of all time, was coming off the bench. Now bench players who come off the bench are usually the guys who are trying their best to stay in the league. Not one of the best players ever, and without question, the greatest shooter of all time. But you've got Stephen Curry coming off the bench, and he was coming off the bench for a reason. He was working his way back from an injury. Prior to the playoffs, he had been out for a month and he had a minutes restriction to make sure he could be healthy to win an NBA title, which obviously it worked out pretty well for them. But in the meantime, the superstar had to come off the bench. It's humbling. And so he proved he was healthy. And after game two of the Nuggets series, he proved he was healthy. So Steve Kerr, the coach and a former player with Michael Jordan, um, and, and Spurs, did he play for the Spurs? Is that what it was? Yeah, Spurs. Okay, so Steve Kerr, who's coaching the Warriors, gives him an opportunity to start again. And this is exactly how Steve Kerr to- uh, told the story on Zach Lowe's podcast. Uh, Steve Kerr's words, I go to him. I'm like, Steph, if you want to start, you're Steph Curry. You get to start if you want. He's just matter of fact. We're playing great. Jordan Poole is in a great groove. We're up to o. Let's keep going. Let's keep going with this. Steph Curry chose to come off the bench. He essentially benched himself. Superstar. Coach Kerr added about him, it's literally every single day that you feel that humility. Just the way he carries himself and celebrates others' success. Kerr said, the other players feel his joy for them and their success. And I think that's a big part of it. Stephen Curry is still the only unanimous MVP in NBA history. He's also not prioritizing his own good. He is playing for and prioritizing the common good. That's the title of the sermon today, For the Common Good. A lot of us know Stephen Curry is also a believer. He's a Christian. And he did something in this situation that sets an example that all Christians are called to do. So here's our main scripture today, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, and it says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Can we say that together? For the common good. Let's repeat that one more time, for the common good. Thank you for your repeating, for the common good. So the phrase, for the common good, it comes from the Greek word, sumphero, Sumfero. sumfero. Now, this means to combine things in such a way that everyone can benefit or everyone can profit. And if the word sumpharo sounds familiar, it's actually the root word of the English word symphony. A symphony, of course, is a beautiful, complex musical arrangement where many different parts come together to form a beautiful, comprehensive whole. And that's how we as Christians are called to live. We're called to be oriented in a position that is for the common good. So today, what we're going to do is unpack this phrase and think about God and ourselves in light of the common good. Would you join me as we pray for the common good? Uh, Lord, thank you that you gave us the ultimate example of living for the common good. And I pray that you would take your heart and place it inside us as a seed that grows. And I pray, Lord God, that you would turn us upside down if you need to in order to become more like you and to be in the best possible place for our own lives with you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Stephen Curry, superstar, played for the common good. Jesus Christ, superstar. It's a musical reference. Lived for the common good because Jesus Christ, he died, he rose again, and he established his church. For the common good. So now let's start to balance around 1 Corinthians 12. And we're going to begin toward the beginning of this chapter in verse 3. Here's what Paul writes. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now we've talked about the Holy Spirit and who he is meant to be as our paracletos. As our paraclete. Different versions of the Bible will translate this Greek word in different ways. So which one is correct? Is it A, helper, B, comforter, or C, advocate? Which is most accurate as to who the Holy Spirit is meant to be in our lives? You got the trick question. The answer is D. The Holy Spirit is meant to be all of these things for us. The way that he introduces the Spirit in John chapter 14 through 16 and even into 17, Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit in such a way that the disciples understand the Holy Spirit will be everything to us that Jesus was to us. But that's his relationship to us. And it overlooks one of the most important things that the Holy Spirit's doing on earth in relation to Jesus. You could argue that it's probably the most important thing he's doing on earth. Jesus talked about this, John 15, 26. But when the helper comes, ESV he uses helper, whom I will send to you from the, from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. He adds a chapter later, John 16, 14. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit was sent to bear witness to us about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is the one who comes into our souls and declares the truth of the gospel to us and brings it to life. He's the one who causes it to reverberate inside us that we can't deny it with any part of our being. It's the Holy Spirit who allows us to comprehend the gospel. One of our Every Nation co-founders is Dr. Rice Brooks. Uh, you might have heard of his name recently because he contributed to the whole God's Not Dead series. He wrote the books. Well, Dr. Brooks also wrote the this this Gospel creed. Apparently, the Every Nation family is now referring to it as the Ricean creed. It's a take on the Nicene Creed. Council of Nicaea. Anyway, um, the gospel is the good news. That God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life that we were supposed to live. And he died the death that we deserve to die. In our place. For our sin. Three days later, he rose from the dead. Proving that he is the son of God. And he offers the free gifts of salvation and forgiveness of sin to all those who repent and believe in him. How many of you believe that this morning? If you believe that, then it's because the Holy Spirit of God is living inside of you declaring this. And allowing you to feel it in every single part of who you are. But here's the thing about Jesus and what we find out about him through this gospel message. Jesus didn't die for personal benefit. He didn't do it because it felt good. He didn't do it because he liked sin. And he wanted to carry our sin for us. Hey, give me some of that. I'll hold the sin. No, he he hated it. He didn't do it for personal benefit. He did it to please and honor God the Father. He did it to satisfy God's Need for justice. God is just. And while he's merciful and didn't want us to pay the price for sin, somebody had to do it. So Jesus said, I'll pay the price. He did it to please God. And he did it for us. We're in 1 Corinthians today, but the sequel, the remix, 2 Corinthians, uh, says this, I think it's uh, 521. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of god god is pretty righteous bro <laughs> righteous god is righteous and through christ we become his righteousness it's for our sake we are the beneficiaries of the gospel we are the beneficiaries beneficiaries of the work of jesus it's through jesus that we get victory in this life regardless of what happens Regardless of your car getting totaled because someone else ran a red light. And we get victory in the next life. It's because of Jesus and his work that we get restored relationship with God. And we get to live in the full acceptance. And we get to know faithful and satisfactory and unconditional love. It's because of him. And it's because of him that we get to connect to his body and be part of a church family. That walks out this relationship together. It's because of Jesus that we get access to this unending source of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And more. We didn't earn these things. Didn't earn it. We can't earn it. Could never. Jesus offered it anyway. Jesus owed us nothing and offered us everything. For the sake of the common good. That's what Jesus gives to us. And if you stand here, sit here. I'm standing. If you sit here as a believer, then you sit here because of the grace of God revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ for the common good. And it's because the Holy Spirit has allowed you and empowered you to receive this word. It's one, of the, it's one of the most important things the Holy Spirit's doing today, but it's not the only thing he's doing today. The Holy Spirit is active today for the common good. So let's go back to that first scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, but I want to emphasize a different part of it. It said this, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. A manifestation is described as an event or an action that clearly shows or embodies something, a manifestation takes something and makes it clear, obvious, or tangible. And God gives us spiritual gifts to make him clear and obvious and tangible to each other and to the world around us. And then in this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 8 and going down to about verse 11 or so, if I'm thinking about it correctly, starts to list some of the manifestation gifts. Pastor Roland talked about that last week. Go and read the passage yourself. It talks about things like healing, faith, words of wisdom, or knowledge. One of the manifestation gifts that made God clear, obvious, and tangible to me was the gift of prophecy. So I was raised in the church. Right? And because I was raised in the church and I had people investing into my youth ministry, investing in my kids' ministry, I was able to, and of course, parents who were teaching me about God. I was able to develop my own relationship with God. And I'm reading the Bible unprompted by myself by the time I'm 10 or 11 years old. And I'm praying by myself by the time I'm 10 or 11 years old. And one day as I'm praying, God shows me this picture in my mind. And it's a picture of me speaking to a crowd of people. And then God would start to show this to me again and again and again. And I knew it wasn't something I could make up for myself because I was a really shy kid, bashful even. I'm still an introvert by nature, for those of you who know me well. And so here's this crazy idea, and I don't know where it's coming from, but I hold on to it. I also don't really tell anyone. But then people in our church at the time begin to confirm this picture that God is showing me. In fact, even our lead pastor at the time said it from the stage one Sunday while I was outside with the other youth. And everybody comes out and they're like, man, I guess you're going to be a pastor one day, aren't you? Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And then I find out that our pastor had told everybody this. I'm like, bro, can we talk first? Why why is my future being decided? Because it was written by God. But anyway. So this idea begins to form and develop and grow, and I start to think, hey, this is probably God, until my parents get a divorce when I'm a freshman in high school. And then I decide God's word didn't work for me. So how can I live for this? And instead of pursuing God, I ran from him as far away as I could. I started to live in sin. I did the whole high school and college thing. I didn't just read the book about that. I helped write it. In fact, one of the reasons why Jerek and I became friends in the first place was because she thought I was so depraved as a college student that she had to invite me to church. She overheard me telling our college marketing professor that I was going to miss class the next few days because I would be hungover for my 21st birthday. I literally said that. It's also because I had over... Never mind. I'm not going to talk about grades. So here I am running from God. But thankfully, people didn't give up on me, and God didn't give up on me. My mom kept praying for me. My family kept praying for me. I eventually find myself back in the church. I end up in a life group, and I grow in faith and obedience and lordship to God. And as I'm walking with people in community, they invite me to join this life group leaders training. And I go, but I go reluctantly, because I thought I had thrown away God's call over my life. And half the day passes, and I'm listening, and I like what I hear. But I'm also confused, and I have no idea if I'm allowed to pursue God the way I thought I could. So we break for lunch, and I tell one of the uh, young leaders that he had just become a pastor. um, And I, I tell him everything that I'm telling you right now. That I thought I was called to ministry, and that I lived in a way that really dishonored God. And that I thought I had thrown away my calling, and he responded to me with what I think is Romans eleven twenty nine. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. It's a word of knowledge. And I keep thinking about this all throughout lunch. It was an all you can eat Chinese and American buffet. It's really good, really cheap. Felt really sluggish afterward. Probably the MSG. So we go back. And we get there late, because we're all tired. And as we get there, they begin to pull people up with four pastors in front of the room. We sit them down in a chair. They shout at them. I'm just joking. They're, they're trying to prophesy over people. They're allowing God to speak to them. And then they relay, relay the message to encourage people. And then they pull me up. Now, I don't know three out of the four of these pastors at the time. I know them well now. But these guys who don't know me, I don't know them. And I definitely didn't tell them what I felt God was calling me to do when I was young. The other guy didn't tell them because he was with me the whole time. They start to prophesy one by one that they think God is calling me to be in ministry. And that God was calling me to pastor one day. My favorite one was the last one because he kept saying, just remember that P word. The P word, the P word. And by that point, they had been going on so long that I had to pee. So he kept saying the P word, the P word. Like, yes, the P word, I'm done. Let me go. Set me free. And I run out of the room. People thought I was crying, but really I had to use the bathroom. bathroom. And then it really sunk into me that these guys who I didn't know heard the voice of God And that God had preserved his calling over my life in spite of everything I had done to throw it away. And were it not for that afternoon, I don't know if I'm preaching today. I don't know if I'm in full-time ministry. The gift of prophecy made God manifest clear, obvious, and tangible to me. And we believe we want God to do the same through his gifts to people today. 1 Corinthians twelve eleven says this, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Jesus worked for our common good. And the Holy Spirit is at work for our common good. And because Jesus served us for the common good, and the Spirit is serving us for the common good, we serve Christ's body, the church, for the common good. the entire idea, it contrasts this trend and this way of thinking, this paradigm that exists in our world today and that's made its way into the body of Christ. And this way of thinking is a framework, a mindset, a lens through which we view the world that's consumeristic in its nature. We think in society as consumers, which is why Yelp is such a big deal which is why Google reviews are such a big deal. We want to see which restaurant we should go to because of Yelp. What's going to give me the best value? What's going to taste best to me? Pastor Roland and I were just traveling in Florida. We use our travel plans. We use Yelp for that. Hey, what's going to give me the best value? I selected my car rental company based on reviews. We use this to determine our activities. Our our family plans for the week. And we use this mindset, what's best for me, what feels best for me, what gives me the most value, to pick our churches. This results in what we call consumer Christianity, where it's all about me and how I'm fed and how I feel. And it's normal, it's the world we live in, but it's kind of... The reverse of how God intended his church to be. This is how God intended his church to be. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, and 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, Filipinos and Hispanics, mainlanders, and islanders. On all, we're made to drink of one spirit. And this passage is where we get the phrase, the body of Christ, the big church, the big sea, every true believer of Jesus. And we are all, say all. We are all individually parts of this body. And in a human body, every part has an individual place and an individual function. And because it has a function, every part has a purpose. And the same is true of the body of Christ. We are all called to have a place. We are all called to have a function. And when we step into this place and this function, we're called to find and experience purpose. God wants his people to experience purpose. And our purpose as believers is connected to in part our spiritual gifts. We talked about manifestation gifts, there are motivational gifts. Things like giving, things like teaching. We want to be a church that reaches the next generation. We can teach the next generation. We want to be a church that serves. Some people have a gift to serve. Some people have a gift to build things. Some people have a gift to be hospitable and welcome people in. That's the heartbeat of who we are. We, we relate. We connect. We, we make friends. We eat food. We might eat too much food. But that's okay. we are growing the body. That's who God has called us to be as his body. God has given us these gifts. Some of us have ministry gifts like evangelism, like shepherding people, caring for them. Of course, the Greek word is pastoring them. You don't need to be a pastor. to pastor, people. Some of us have a gift of leadership. Every person is called to find their fit, find their role, find their place, and in so doing, find a purpose. Together. This happens when we do it together. 1 Corinthians 12, 24 through 26. But God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. We should care for one another and serve one another because we're part of the same body. Eyes and ears don't just guide the eyes and ears. They guide the whole body. Hands defend and protect the whole body. Feet move the whole body forward. The heart pumps blood to the entire body. Every part serves the body. Every part gets involved. And every part finds purpose. Sometimes we're reluctant to get started in serving because we feel like we're capable of so much. Well, one beautiful thing about the body is that it's able to develop. And if you want to do a big thing well, you should develop first. If you want to lift more weight, start with smaller weight. And if you feel called to serve God in a mighty way, praise God. Praise God to the glory of God. Start with something small. Faithfulness and fruitfulness comes before promotion in the kingdom of God. Now, you might be thinking, is there a place for those who aren't serving? Of course. Of course there is. Sometimes a body part can be overworked or even get injured. And if a body part is overworked or injured, it's necessary and good for that body part to have a season of rest and recovery for the sake of restoration. And one day, after it's been restored, and as it's being restored, because rehab's a thing, then it can be fully operational and serve in its function again. But we're not called to remain there forever. In fact, bad things happen when we remain inactive for too long. Might need help from the medical folk, but uh, if we don't move a body part for too long, we can experience something called atrophy muscle atrophy, for example, if you don't work out for a few weeks at a time, or if you get a cast put on and you can't move your limb, but then you take it off and you don't go back to the gym, you start to lose strength in those limbs, and because of disuse, because of neglect, the muscle itself begins to diminish and lose strength because it's inactive. I've been in ministry for a little over 10 years now, and sometimes people will come up and they'll say things like, you know, I don't know why, but I feel so dry in my walk with God. And I'll feel weird, funny, distant. One of the leading reasons, not the only reason, but one of the leading reasons is because of inactivity. Jesus said, I will give you power and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth and surely I'm with you always to the end of time. The promise to be with us always to the end of time is for those who are actively being witnesses. And if we feel like God is distant, perhaps we're not in requirement of him. Perhaps it's because we're not doing anything and we don't need the helper's help. We don't want to experience spiritual um, atrophy. We want to grow. And that growth comes when we're involved and in our place, serving in the body of Christ. Someone needs the spiritual gifts that God has given you. If you aren't involved, when you're called to be, maybe it's not your season, but for most of us it is. If you aren't involved then the body is incomplete. God wants his body to be complete. A lot of people, I'm looking at right now, and I'm grateful that a lot of people here are serving in official capacities and unofficial capacities, giving of their time, living for the common good, looking like Jesus in every possible way. But if you're looking for a place to serve, then we've got clipboards out in the lobby today on the different tables that give us places where we can sign up. To serve in the body of Christ, to use the spiritual gifts that God has given us and get involved. Some roles might have more requirements than others because the Bible is very clear that leaders are held to a higher standard. One thing that keeps me up at night sometimes, not so much anymore. But it's the fact that the Bible is clear Pastor Roland and I will be judged more severely than other people. Higher standards. We'll cross that bridge if we come to it. We want to see the body of Christ moving and operating and living in the way that it's called, where people can find their function and find their purpose. And it's not supposed to feel like an obligation either. It's supposed to flow naturally from a place of love. And that's our final point today. We are motivated by love for the common good. The last scripture of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is what it says but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So clearly, the thoughts that are following 1231 continue in the same context. We don't hear them in the same context because we normally hear these words that we're about to read in the context of weddings, which is cool because it's all true. I've shared these words at weddings before, and I'll do it again. But they were in the context of the body of Christ. So let's listen to these words with a fresh ear as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Somebody can come and play and make it spiritual. <clears throat> if, I speak in the tongues, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. But rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is one of the most famous passages in the Bible. Unbelievers hanging have it hanging in their hallways. And bathrooms. But this is what it's for. We are what it's for. This is written for the body of Christ. To love one another this way. To give love this way. This is our standard. And when we serve, when I get up to preach, sometimes I'll remind myself of these words. If I speak... In the tongues of men or of angels, but I have not love. Nothing but a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. We are meant to be moved by love. And this standard of love, this style of love, it completely takes everything about consumer Christianity and it turns it on its head. Because consumer Christianity, consumerism in, in general, it lacks all of this, it's not patient. It's not kind, it's arrogant and rude, it's envious and boastful, but God has called his people to love this way, and without him it's daunting because we can't love this way. I want to be patient and kind, but I can't. If one stoplight takes too long on my way home, I'm going to lose my patience. But thankfully, it's not up to us to drum this love up and act it out and force it out when we don't have any in us. We can give this kind of love because we've been given this kind of love. This is the love that we've received from Jesus Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus was not envious or boastful. He was not envious, arrogant or rude. He did not insist on his own way. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus gives us this kind of love, and the Holy Spirit is at work loving us this way every day. How persistent is the love of God? How often do we do things to reject the love of God? And yet he remains present with us. He loves us this way. And because he's present in our lives, his love is becoming more real inside us every day as we progressively become more and more like Jesus, sanctified to become more like the image of the Son of God. And because God has given us this love and he's giving us this love, we're able to start living out this love. This is the love that moves us to serve the body of Christ. It turns consumerism on its head. But here's the beautiful thing about God. He promises that whoever is willing to lose their lives for his sake, they'll find it. I'll go back to the illustration of a body one more time. And then we'll close. Hands, for example. Convenient, you can see it. Leave my shoes on. I won't use feet. Hands. They do a lot for the body. My hands wipe my eyes when I cry and I'm preaching. I fix my hair. Help me get ready. Our hands cook for ourselves and our family. They clean things. They drive. The hands do a lot. But the hands also receive a lot. The hands are able to flourish because they're attached and involved with the rest of the body. The hands receive blood from the heart. The hands receive oxygen because of the lungs. They receive nutrients because of the digestive system. The hands are a blessing to the body, and the hands are blessed by the body. When we choose to serve and love, the way that we've been served and loved, we are best positioned to be served and loved when we serve in God's body we're able to be served by God's body when we love God's body we are able to be loved by God's body and when we're running thin and we get tired and things are inconvenient we remember that we've been loved by God first and then we love God's body And then as we love God's body more and more, the body grows and becomes better and improves. And we receive love from God's body more and more. So instead of thinking about what's best for our good, we should reorient our thinking and think about the common good. The common good and living for the common good of the body of Christ produces the best possible outcome. It gives the most glory to God. It serves the body the most. And it gives us, and it best positions us to receive the kind of serving and love that we want and need. So I pray that God would show us his heart, a heart, That's oriented and motivated by the common good. And that we, like our God, would live for the common good. That in so choosing, we would experience what is best for our good. Let's pray.